This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the Propagator Report's Drive Time News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. I'm out of town this week, as I mentioned yesterday. I will be back on Rockfin Live next Thursday. Today, I want to share with you all some clips from a World Economic Forum panel discussion on the metaverse because the people on this panel are the ones attempting to make this dystopian future or future full of possibilities, depending on how you see it, a reality. They talk during the panel about the practical ways they believe the metaverse will be used in the future, how it is currently being used, and what problems are likely to arise once it manifests into reality. The discussion is titled, The Possibilities of the Metaverse. I will tell you who the panelists are as we go along. I'm going to start with how they define what the metaverse is. Most of you have probably heard a somewhat similar definition as to the one that you're about to hear, but... I think it's important that we hear exactly how they define it because it is the premise of this discussion. It's a rather long definition, so I did cut down the clip to the most relevant parts. And the woman who is defining it for us, her name is Peggy Johnson, very generic name. She is the CEO of a company called Magic Leap, an augmented reality glasses company that has raised $2.6 billion worth of funding from investors like Google, Alibaba, and AT&T. That was billion, as in $2.6 billion. You'd think they were fighting a war against Russia with those kind of numbers. Peggy was formerly the executive VP of business development at Microsoft. And in 2017, Business Insider recognized her as the most powerful female engineer in the United States. She was given the task by the moderator here of defining what the metaverse is. Again, this was at the beginning of the panel to provide context for the rest of the conversation. Here it is. Essentially, the metaverse is a blending of your physical and your digital worlds. Um, Basically, it's a little frustrating as an augmented reality company um, that oftentimes the current dialogue around the metaverse is centered in virtual reality. So virtual reality is where you might put on a headset and you enter another world. And there's great opportunity for virtual reality. There's entertainment, there's training, there's things like that. Um, But there's also augmented reality where you still see your physical world and you augment it with digital content in front of your eyes. And both are the metaverse, which is why it becomes a little bit confusing. Um, And the way I think of it is this. Uh, If you think about the digital infrastructure of the Internet, that's the area that houses all of your data and the services and the applications that you use. And you enter the digital internet through a physical device, whether it's your mobile phone or the PC. 
the metaverse now will be will actually expand upon that and it will be a merging of your digital and your physical worlds sometimes you'll be fully virtual sometimes like in this application here it's a factory the physical part of this factory is in gray and the digital part is in purple and they're blended together and that creates a whole new experience she's showing an image right now on the screen that is like a digital image of a factory and it has the physical locations or aspects of it like she said in gray with little digital overlays of purple it's really not a very good graphic but i will put the graphic in the show notes if you want to take a look at it now it's also important to note that the metaverse is not a singular destination i think sometimes we come to see that from the media that it's only one place that would be like saying the internet is only one web page um, but what it's going to be is an interconnected web of networks, much like the digital interface or the digital uh, internet is, but it'll be expanded and it'll create new experiences for all of us. Um, the metaverse is going to be the technological foundation of which we will build the future. The technological foundation of which the future will be built on. She has a slide up there right now that says metaverse is infrastructure. And we've seen how the Biden administration has in a very deliberate way changed what the definition of infrastructure is to include these so-called smart technologies, setting things up nicely for federally funded metaverse adoption in the future. Much like the mobile phone industry, much of where the metaverse begins will likely be in business. And we see this already today in businesses that are used to wearing head-worn devices. So doctors who go into surgery might wear magnifiers or lights, and first responders or soldiers might wear helmets. And then in manufacturing, you might have safety glasses. Those seem to be the industries that are adopting this idea of digitally overlaying your physical world initially. And they're, they're the ones who are actually seeing value today. Just something to keep in mind, the metaverse is already here. It's useful in some ways, but it's early. Yes, it is already here and it's being tested in those industries mentioned, obviously, the military being one of them. So that's how they think about the metaverse. Now, notice her use of the term experience, which she said multiple times, and they all say throughout this, and any of these people working on creating the metaverse always refer to it as the creation of new experiences, blending realities to create those new experiences. Like instead of reading a book in the metaverse, you might experience the book the same way the characters inside of it do at an emotional level, which could seem cool in a number of ways, but it's also something to be very cautious about because it's those intensely emotional moments that we have in our lives that shape our perception and understanding of the world, of our reality. And if the realness of the metaverse is giving people those types of reality-shaping experiences, then that gives extraordinary power to those who create the content of these metaverse experiences, especially when it comes to education. And that's what they're talking about in this next clip. Edward Lewin, who is the vice president of government and public affairs at the Lego Group, where he is responsible for Lego's work with governments in which they promote the company's vision as a global force of learning through play. He is asked about what a day in the life of a child in the metaverse is. Here's what he has to say. Uh, you recently, uh, with Lego, announced a partnership with Epic Games about shaping the future of the metaverse for children. Can you tell us a bit about that? What is the day in the life of a child in the metaverse? Well, I think it's fun, and I think it's hugely exciting. And you think about the different applications that you could have around the metaverse. I mean, first of all, in the education setting in the classroom, 
you, know, you think about how learning about volcanoes could be a completely different experience from reading about it to suddenly being transported over a crater as it's erupting and diving down into the volcano to see what's really going on. Or from learning historical dates to being actually at a recreation of an event. So the, the possibilities are endless and, uh, and I think very exciting and a great way to inspire and develop our children. Yeah, also a great way to indoctrinate our children. So instead of learning historical dates, being at a recreation of an event. Like, say, January 6, 2020, an event that the media is currently attempting to create a very inaccurate historical record of through these public hearings in prime time that they're doing, actually starting today. Can you imagine if children of the future learned Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or AOC's version of or telling of the January 6th events in the metaverse? These children would be experiencing firsthand events that never happened while being told that they just lived, experienced true American history. Giving them an emotional experience as though they were there has a power to create in them an unshakable belief in an absolute fiction. I mean, if they lived the AOC version of January 6th, they'd all be running down a hallway threatening to be gang-raped by an army of Republicans. That's basically the story that she told, and this is probably the kind of stuff that's going to go in that historical record that they would then be experiencing as they're learning about the history of America. All history has multiple points of view, so this type of learning will make seeing those alternative perspectives nearly impossible when you embed a real emotional feeling experience at their very core at a young age. That is unless they get to experience alternative versions of what happened as well, and balance it out that way. I don't know what impact that would have, but I also don't hear them talking about providing multiple tellings of history because, as we know, he who controls history controls the future. And that is what this would be the ultimate tool of, the way that this LEGO guy is talking about. And I also find it interesting that LEGO has a partnership with Epic Games. Epic Games, which makes, among other games, Fortnite, the most popular video game in the world. They know that video games are the access point of all children, all teens, all, heck, adults even at some point. And if they can partner with these games where people go to escape, to get out of the real world, but they're still using this as a metaverse entryway to provide educational or really propaganda indoctrination purposes, then they could get a lot of people indirectly. Another guy on the panel also talks about the educational benefits of the metaverse. Well, he calls them benefits anyway. This is Philip Rosedale, he is the co-founder of a company called High Fidelity, which is a VR platform. And he also is the founder of Linden Labs, which was created like in 97. He created the virtual world Second Life, which is often described as like the first iteration of the metaverse that a lot of these new, more modern metaverses are learning from. The idea behind Second Life is that people can create a virtual avatar of themselves and go live a second life in this virtual world. Here is what he has to say on that same subject of education in the metaverse. I think a practical example, if it ha happens in Second Life, it's definitely happening with the, these first-generation VR devices, is school. I, uh, if you could bring a teacher to your school that was an Egyptologist, that was an expert in a specific Egyptian tomb, and she could take your kids in the school into the tomb and show them the, you know, everything about it and spend an hour doing that. And then that same teacher could move on to a school 
somewhere far away and, you know, do, do that her whole day. I mean, that's just a huge uh, move forward for humanity because of the equality that it brings, for example, to education. Any teacher can be brought to any students. So he sees the benefit being that you can bring your Egyptologist or whatever that word was, he said, to every student. Every student can experience that. Perhaps it could also bring Dr. Fauci into every kindergarten class. You can take all your children into a, a virtual morgue full of dead COVID victims and a lesson about the importance of vaccination. Can you imagine the vaccine propaganda in a world that this guy just described? If education happened like that, we would have been having Fauci in our homes every single day, inescapable in a world that had gone full metaverse with what this guy was describing. The same guy is talking in this next clip here. He's giving us a detailed description of what a day in the life of Second Life, the kind of original metaverse, is like. And I should say that Second Life is what they modeled and tested many of these metaverse concepts in. They do talk about that here in this panel. I don't know if any of the clips include that, but it was a testing ground for the metaverses that we're seeing now. So they are learning from Second Life. They're looking to the achievements of Second Life and to apply them in the more modern metaverses we're seeing. Here's the clip. So right now in Second Life, there are about 50,000 people that are logged in. So it would be a bit like the population of a medium-sized city in terms of the community who is sort of on the street in the place. Um, and, and the average age, we talked about kids. Well, well, well um, there's a tremendous amount of metaverse-like usage right now in games, uh, games like Minecraft, Fortnite, and Roblox. Those are all kids. The average person in Second Life is closer to about 40 years old, maybe in their mid to late 30s, um, although there are many, many people that are quite a, uh, quite a bit older as well as avatars in Second Life. Um, they use it about four hours a day, so just as a framing, 50,000 people, about four hours when you log in. Typical experience might be you log in in your house, which looks like a beautiful house. You've furnished it yourself. You've, you've, it, it's completely unique. Um, it's your place that you've lived in. The average person has lived in Second Life for about eight years. That's in there now, which is quite something. So you might start in your house and walk outside, but your house is in a larger community of houses. So you can look down the street. There are other houses, your friends' houses, that are decorated with their own art and stuff that they've built. You might walk down to the end of the street, and at the end of the street, there's a band stage where there's live music. There's a lot of musicians that actually made it. Well, not a lot, but a few so far. Second Life is a million people, not a billion yet, but... They're musicians who made it in Second Life. So you walk down the street, you can hear music playing, you walk with maybe a friend, you go into the music venue, there's new people that you haven't met before. You listen to music for a little bit, maybe you leave a tip uh, in the tip jar for the musician. Then you get somebody tells you, let's teleport, I want to show you some art, and you go with them. Maybe this is somebody new you've never met before. You click on the map and you jump to another place that is literally an artwork that is um, a whole space. So it's a field with a wrecked train in it. Uh, a, 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 uh, gosh, what am I thinking of the word? Uh, gosh, in a farming field, there's a spinning thing. I can't think. Um, and there's wheat and there's all these strange things for you to explore. And together you wander around in this gigantic artwork and have this experience while talking to this new person you met. So four hours goes by quickly. You log off you're back at your desk um, uh, in front of your computer. So that would be a second life day in the life. The average person in second life is almost 40. They use it four hours a day and they've been playing it for eight years. That's unbelievable. 
This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. I'd love to see a profile of this individual who is 40 years old, spending four hours a day in Second Life, and they've done so for eight years, wandering around in giant artworks before they finally come to, after four hours, back at their desk at what seems like a sad life, the way that he said that there at the end. This does show you that they are not only targeting children and teenagers, they are also targeting adults. In fact, they already have a million of them or so in Second Life. Now, the next guy talking here is this guy named Pascal. He is an AI expert, apparently. His name is Pascal Kaufman. He's the president and co-founder of Mindfire Foundation, which is a nonprofit that focuses on progressing AI. He has created a humanoid robot called Roboy. And in this clip, he's speaking about the role of AI and data in creating the metaverse. Could you share with us what you imagine the role of AI and data will be in the metaverse? Thanks a lot for this question, and Nicole. I think the ultimate metaverse is actually our brain. Um, my brain is a perfect virtual reality generating uh, machine. I see things, I can touch things, and in my brain, everything kind is constituted. So we can definitely learn from the principles of the brain how to actually build a metaverse that feels very much intuitively. I had a discussion with uh, Philip. I asked him, will we spend more time in the, in, in the future, in the metaverse, in the, in the physical world? And Philip told me, yeah, I'm not so sure. It still feels artificial. I would prefer like my human body. If we could um, create technologies that make the metaverse feel as if I was in my real body, then I think that would be the ultimate metaverse that we uh, try to achieve. So that's the ultimate metaverse for this guy. Create technologies that make it feel as though you are in your real body. And this is done through the use of AI data collection. We hear them talk about that in many panel discussions, kind of like they talk about training deep fakes. They take audio and video of hours and hours, hundreds of hours of people, and they train the, quote, AI on that video, on that audio, to then create the false digital representation that seems real, to some people anyway, the ones that are good anyway. And they kind of talk about this in the same way when they talk about how they gather data in order to create that real world experience, how they anticipate where you're going and what you're going to do through eye tracking and multiple cameras. One of the women on the panel actually discusses all of the actual eye sensors and cameras that are in some of these devices later on and the haptics that they use that make you feel sensations of like, I don't know, a spider dripping poison on your lips, which is something that has actually been created by the Carnegie Foundation. I covered this a couple weeks ago on the show, but this is the goal, creating this ultimate experience so that reality and the metaverse is indistinguishable or as indistinguishable as possible. And in this next clip here, there's a woman in the audience. She is the question and answer session, which is often the best parts of these videos. She's expressing her concern about children moving more towards the digital world and away from the physical world. And the Lego guy, Edward Lewin, he is the one that answers this question. His answer is, is interesting, to say the least. 
Oh, one problem that I've identified or that you, you've touched upon is actually the balance between the physical and the digital, because we're moving more and more towards the digital um, and, and more accelerated. And as you say, children will be completely immersive. So how do we teach them to have that connection that we grew up with? Um, and. Uh, I, I, I am interested in the research that you said you're doing in the UK. I'm UK-based. And actually, I was here launching two days ago an initiative to reestablish handwriting into the mainstream worldwide. Because even ourselves, we've blurred this. And there's no space uh, in our daily lives where we don't have screens any day. So I think uh, researchers and or conversations should also question that, now that you are in the leading forefront of that. And I hope that, yes, just as much, I say, as we advance in being digitally literate, we shouldn't become humanly illiterate. The LEGO Group is, we're celebrating our 90th birthday uh, this year, and we're having a, a good party about it um, in the coming weeks. And of course, at our core, we're a physical toy company, and that's not going away. The Lego brick, the Lego system of play, much loved, and is our focus. Um, but actually, the, the separation of physical and digital is something that I think we think about as adults. But if you talk to kids today, they don't really see it that way. It's a very seamless experience for them between both online and offline worlds. And so um, in our view and in our opinion, you've got to have offerings in both space. Um, the brick isn't going away. The unlimited possibilities of the Lego brick is here to stay. But we believe we can enhance it through online experiences. We've dabbled in this and, and got some significant online offerings. Um, but I think that the metaverse provides new opportunities. So I completely understand what you're saying. And um, as a parent, I'm also concerned about good things like picking up physical books and obviously playing with Lego bricks, which my kids do quite a lot. Um, but I think that we are, have to be cognizant of the fact that um, kids want to be online as well, and it's where they can get new dimensions of possibilities in play. Adults separate the physical and digital world. Kids don't. They don't see it that way. They have a seamless experience, and instead of wanting to help kids understand the difference between the physical and the digital worlds. This guy, Lego, and everybody they're partnered with, they want to exploit the fact that they do not separate the digital and physical world, and they want to create products to facilitate that. So that's, that's the basis of thinking that Lego is operating on. That premise right there, where physical and digital worlds are not separated when it comes to their product creation and their learn-by-playing idea that they're working with World Economic Forum and governments to spread. Where they're going to help us or help children go experience live recreations of events that could very well be just completely fabricated, but will feel real enough. This lack of separation between physical and digital world, the fact that they don't want to go back at all and maybe separate this for kids, yet they want to embrace it. They want to make it part of the future, part of our reality. It's a little transhumanist to me. And I think ultimately that's exactly where this metaverse technology stuff is leading to. This next clip is Peggy Johnson again, the CEO of Magic Leap, the augmented reality company, talking about all of the cameras and sensors that are in their devices and what they do. There's a lot of them. 
Yeah, you know, I think it has to be a mix of uh, many voices in order to, to solve this one. From a, I'm an engineer from a technical standpoint. I'm trying to be as open and transparent about what these devices can do so that society can understand why they need to be uh, have a certain amount of regulation around them. For instance, we have about five, cam five uh, inward-facing cameras on your eyes because we need, we need to know where your eyes are gazing in order to place the digital content. And then there's four outward cameras that are trying to map your world. And so that's a lot of sensors. It's much more than our mobile phones. And so we have to ensure that everyone understands what these devices are capable of in the same way we need to understand artificial intelligence and what those algorithms are, are capable of doing and the biases they might introduce or, or not. So it's, it's incumbent upon technologists uh, to not just create good technology and unleash it on the world, but to also carry the responsibility of uh, uh, containing and controlling that technology, you know, hopefully without suppressing innovation, but making it a safe place and useful for everyone. Five eye tracking cameras, four outward cameras mapping your world. That's a lot of cameras, a lot of trackers gathering a lot of data about your movements, anticipating and learning the way that you move. So they can put certain objects in certain places, perhaps marketing or promotional objects. That's going to be one of the ultimate cash cows in the metaverse once they get more and more people adapted in. As you think about the way they anticipate ads right now, and they put them in our streams or on YouTube videos or whatever, they're going to give us actual real feeling experiences with certain products only to cut it off. And then you got to pay in order to get that full experience of that product. But that's a lot of tracking and surveillance technology in one headset. And she said at the end there that the tech needs to be built in a way that's safe for everyone. Which that concept in and of itself, safe for everyone, is a, is a challenging one, as we know. And this next clip speaks just to that. The security and privacy in the metaverse, which as this clip plays out, kind of to me seems like it's going to be a woke metaverse. I'm going to leave the question in because I like the way that it was asked. Answering the question is a woman named Hoda Alhukami. She is an assistant research professor at the engineering department at New York University. Here's the clip. Uh, I totally agree with you that we need to ensure security and privacy in the metaverses and also that they are built to be inclusive and diverse. But my question is... Who are we and who do we, how do we ensure that we are aligned and agree across the metaverses? That's a great question. Uh, I think from the terms of governance, we need to find a way, as Philip said earlier, to find a governance structure that does not disrupt the freedom uh, ecosystem that you're trying to build here. Does it exist right now? We don't know. Like, who are we? What do we want to do? How do we want to contribute? The ecosystem is supposed to be mindful and respectful of everybody's right to exist on the metaverse, but at the same time, build a level of um, ownership to malicious activities. In my opinion, there should be a way where we can build anomalies of malicious activities, for example, and you know, stop them prior to them having, uh, you know, a catastrophic ramification on the other users on the network. The part of the question there that I was most interested in, which didn't really get fully answered, was where she asked about who we are. She was basically asking who gets to be the rulers who determine and enforce the laws in this metaverse and how can these laws be enforced 
across all metaverses, like the Medi Multiverse World Government or something like that. And in her answer, the lady mentioned creating models of anomalies of malicious activities. What will those anomalies be? Will it be someone who doesn't agree with the vaccine mandate, maybe a conspiracy theorist, QAnon people, people who don't have a Ukraine flag in their profile pictures? What will be part of these anomalies, which are basically going to be used in a pre-crime-like program that she describes there? They spend all this time talking about equality when it really sounds to me like the metaverse will be very biased against anyone who disagrees with the World Economic Forum agenda. However, that consensus is definitely not there on what those rules and laws will be, something that is expressed in this final clip that I'm going to play for you, the final clip of the Free 30. I do have a couple more that I'm going to play in the XR, the subject of which are the benefits and cost of creating the perfect person that seems real in the metaverse and what it would take to connect the entire globe to the metaverse, which you can get that content by subscribing to the Propaganda Report Patreon at patreon.com slash propaganda report, where we drop exclusive XR content every time that we drop a DMB. You can find that again at patreon.com slash propaganda report. And you get that content with all of our tiers, but you can check out the different tiers to see which ones you like. All right, here's that last clip I was telling you about. It is Pascal, the guy who has created a humanoid robot, talking about his thoughts on whether or not there's a global consensus around the governing rules of the metaverse. I think you're hitting at the weak spot. We have no solution to that. I do not believe that we can ease, uh, reach so easily a global consensus when I look at human nature these days. We didn't do a good job when it came to ethics. I mean, there are basic like questions like human rights, for example. Even there, we don't have a consensus. So I would imagine that a consensus for the virtual world might be a little bit more uh, tough to get. So I think we don't have yet a good solution to your question. Of course they don't. Because of human nature these days, not these days, just in general human nature, they have to literally change human nature to make us a race of human slaves across the globe, essentially, to get that consensus that they're looking for. So this means that we have a competition for whose values will dominate in this metaverse. If, in fact, this metaverse does become a major part of our reality, which is also in dispute. So I think, again, their plans aren't playing out as perfectly as they have hoped that they would. They certainly do invest lots of money into developing these worlds, but they don't have the consent of the people. And they know that they don't. A major part of Davos this year focused on how the public of the world, how they don't trust the elites around the world. And they're right. The public does not trust the elites, and they can't force this 2030 agenda down the public's throat without the consent of the public, which they will continue to try and gain through propaganda. But they don't have it. And that's where the power of each individual lies and the ability to think, to question, and and the right to resist. Thank you for listening. You can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. I'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.